standing and pray with me. Spirit of God, come now and anoint the preaching of your word. Lord, we thank you that we are taught in Holy Scripture that we have these treasures in jars of clay. Lord, we are clay jars. Fill us now with your spirit. Fill me, the clay jar, the preacher, with the word of God, and with your unction for preaching. Fill us, these clay jars, these flesh and blood people, with full of the Holy Spirit, that we might receive with joy the implanting of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we say it every week in the Nicene Creed. We say we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That's what we say we believe. Yet even among those of us who claim to hold to the authority of Scripture and to the apostolic teaching, our ideas of what happens to us after we die are actually more likely to be influenced by a cocktail of popular culture, sentimentality, and paganism rather than by the Bible or the creeds. So let me give you a few examples, okay? So first of all, if you think that after you die, you are given a pair of wings and become an angel. Do we have, let me say, teacher says whenever a bell rings. <laughs> well, if that's your understanding of the future state, the theology you have comes from Frank Capra and not from the creeds or the scriptures. You believe the gospel of It's a Wonderful Life, which, by the way, is a great movie, just bad theology about angels. If you think that you will be reincarnated following death or that you have been reincarnated and were here before in some previous version of yourself, then you have a view that is derived from Eastern religions, such as Hinduism or maybe even the New Age movement. But there is absolutely no warrant of Scripture to support any thought of reincarnation. And in fact, this directly contradicts biblical anthropology. In other words, what the Bible teach, uh, teaches regarding what it means to be a human being. Now, if you think that the afterlife is based on carnal wish fulfillment, like I heard in a South Carolina church one time, old Joe's up there in heaven right now playing golf with St. Peter... Uh, then you are shaped by a self-generated sentimentality and not the apostolic tradition. Uh, if you think that death is the ultimate healing and that death is our friend because it releases the spark of the spirit from the bad old body, then you are a heretical Gnostic. Hallelujah. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 clearly states that death is not our friend, it is called the last enemy of humanity, and that Jesus will destroy death, and that he has already begun to do son. He has tra trampled down death by death. But the heresy that most of us will fall into is this. If you think that the end game of those who are in Christ is to leave this body behind and go to a place called heaven to enjoy eternity with a disembodied spirit, you do not have a biblically orthodox view of the afterlife, but of a, you have a pagan platonic view, or as we call it in, in Southern Gospel, dying and flying. <laughs> dying and flying. So where are we supposed to get our understanding of what happens to us beyond death? Well, we get it from Jesus, obviously. He is the pioneer 
and the perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith. Christ's resurrection provides us with a template of God's future for what God's future for us will look like. So here again, those words from 1 John that we just heard read by Lisa this morning. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, listen, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Or as we sing on Easter, made like Him, made like Him, like Him we rise. So Jesus' resurrection is God's new creation breaking into our reality here and now. And before we move on to talk about what it means to us personally, we need to recognize that the resurrection really is, a much, is much bigger than assurance of my future existence beyond death. The resurrection, brothers and sisters, is a cosmic event. In other words, it has... It, it has it affects the entire cosmos, the entire fabric of reality. All of reality is impacted by Christ's resurrection. Now, up until Easter, here at Christ Church, we've been reading mostly out of Mark's gospel. And in that gospel as well, of course, as in Matthew and Luke, but primarily because we've just been reading it, Mark's gospel, the emphasis is on Jesus' proclaiming of God's inbreaking kingdom. And then he talks about it, Actually, in Mark, he talks about it very little. I mean, he just says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then after he says the kingdom of God is right here, right now, he starts doing stuff. In other words, here's what the, the kingdom is here, and here's what it looks like. I'm declaring the kingdom, and now I'm embodying, I am embodying and enacting it in front of your very eyes. He's demonstrating God's inbreaking kingdom. Jesus is declaring that what we think of, of as being constituent of the real world, you know, the real world, we've got to go back to the real world. What we think of the real world as being, which is death and sickness and oppression and enslaving sin and grief and scarcity, those are not the real world at all. Those are the results of the fall, and it is not what God intends. Jesus tells us, and then he demonstrates through the healing of the sick, raising the dead, delivering people from demonic oppression, and feeding the hungry, that, that God's kingdom, the world that God always meant to be, that world is now breaking in through him. Now here's the deal. In the resurrection, listen, in the resurrection, that new, this is the cosmic part of this. That new reality, that new creation has come busting into the world. Busting in. I was going to say bursting. But no, it came busting in. Jesus brought the kingdom, that new reality, busting into our world. And so the resurrection means that there is a wonderful future in which creation itself is renewed and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So to begin with, if you think God's plan is this, if you think God's plan is to take you out of this world, out of the body, and into heaven for eternity, you have completely misunderstood the point of the resurrection. God's ultimate, we think, in popular Christianity, we think that God's purpose is to get us out of, off of earth and into heaven. But the kingdom of God is heaven coming to earth. 
not getting us off of earth into heaven. God's kingdom is coming to earth. Heaven comes to earth. And that's what the story of the resurrection is all about. We completely misunderstand that story if we think it's all about taking us out of the world, dying and flying. God's ultimate plan is not to crumple up this creation and throw it away for good, but that there would be a renewed creation that we will participate in forever. Human beings, listen, human beings are not the only ones that must be born again. Heaven and earth must be born again too. Heaven and earth must be born again. At Easter, this is what N.T. Wright says, at Easter Jesus came to, came to us from God's future, from the new world which God has begun to make. God's future is quite simply His new heavens and new earth. The Bible doesn't speak, as so many Christians imagine, of a disembodied heaven, but rather of new heavens and new earth. And the point about God's future world is that it will be more real, more solid, more tangible and visible and tasteable than the present world. And let me just stop here and give a plug. If, you haven't, if you've never read C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, go get that book on Kindle immediately and read it. It's a very short, you can read it in one sitting. N.T. Wright continues, and that for good reason. The present world is full of corruption and decay, of violence and sorrow and sin and death. But the whole point is that what God has decided to do about all of this, precisely because he's the creator who loves the world he made, is not, is, it, it is to do away with that corruption and sorrow and death, and so leave the way clear for the world to be renewed from top to bottom, so that everything that's pure and lovely and beautiful and noble and wise will shine out all the more brightly. That is the future world which we are promised, which the ancient Jewish people were already promised in their scriptures, all because God is the good creator who has promised to set his world right in the end. I've said it before, and you know what, folks? After you've been preaching for about 30 years, everything you said is something you've said before. Uh, so, uh, but let me just, just let you know, remind you, and you've heard me say this, everything that is good that you love about this present world will be taken to new orders of glory and will remain in the new world. You'll not lose anything. You know, it's kind of like, golly, you know, I know we're all going to go to heaven, but daggone, I'm going to miss North Carolina mountains. No. <laughs> you know, if that's the way you're thinking, stop thinking that now. Because those are mere, merely the shadow of the beauty, the transcendent goodness, the physical touchable realness think it's going to the new heavens and the new earth are going to smell like something they're not going to smell like the bathroom at the airport whatever that is they're going to smell like dirt should smell and trees should smell you've never tasted water like it's in the heavens in the new heavens and the new earth We should crave, long for, desire passionately what God is about to do. And all of that we know 
is really going to happen. It's not Ben Sharp just telling you a story on Sunday morning because somebody has come back from the dead bringing the new creation with him. It's already started to happen. It's still happening all the time. Stuff just keeps happening. We need to hear about it more often, but, you know, signs and wonders, they just keep happening. And all signs and wonders, when God does something supernatural and extraordinary, all that is is God's future breaking into our present. In one sense, it's not supernatural at all. It's merely the real world coming into the fake world. So that's the cosmic big picture significance of Jesus' resurrection. What does that mean? What does that mean now for me personally? Well, let's go back to that verse from 1 John again. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The Bible teaches that as Jesus took up his body again when he was raised from the dead, we too will take up our bodies again when we are raised from the dead. And by the way, when Jesus was raised from the dead, you know what what was left of his body in the tomb? Nothing. (laughs) Because he had taken it with him. It was transformed. It was glorified. But that body was contiguous. There was continuity with the body that they had laid in that grave. There was nothing but burial shrouds left in the tomb. There wasn't dust. Like, you know, like he, he I mean, he didn't, he didn't Obi-Wan Kenobi out of this world, you know. Just watch. I watched the new, uh, the most recent Star Wars, because I wasn't going to go to the theater to watch that. Uh, <laughs> I, I was skeptical. It's actually pretty good. But you don't Obi-Wan Kenobi or Luke Skywalker out of the world in the resurrection. There's continuity with this body. We will take up our bodies again. We, if we are going to be like in him, we are going to have a resurrection body just like Jesus. The gospel lesson gives us some clues about the character of that body that we just heard now, read this morning by Deacon Chris. Listen again to what Jesus uh, says in Luke 24. See my hands and my feet. This, that, is, that it is I myself. Listen. Touch me, for a spirit, you know, woo, definitions, woo, thank you. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his, hand, showed them his hands and feet, and while they, were sti- while they still be- disbelieved for joy... And were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. Wow. So the resurrection body is different. Yet there is continuity with the body that we know in this life. St. Paul describes that resurrection body actually in 1 Corinthians 15 beginning at the 42nd verse. This is what it says. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, in other words, the the body that is buried, he's thinking about like sowing seeds in the ground, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What what, What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, nothing quite as weak as being dead. 
That is weak. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Now, spiritual body does not mean an insubstantial body, but a more solid Holy Spirit-infused existence than we have ever known. We think that the term spiritual body means less real than the natural body. No, what it means is that our bodies will be more real. Spiritual, in this sense, does not mean less real. It means more real. So we will never be sick again. We will never die again. We will be glorified. So what are the specific things we know about this resurrection state based on Christ's post-resurrection appearances? Well, first of all, we will be healed and we will be whole. Jesus was not a broken, bleeding corpse following his resurrection, but whole and full of new life. A friend of ours uh, some time ago told us about her uncle, Uncle Jim, who died young, he died uh, in his early 40s of cancer, and he had MS. And on his deathbed, she read to him from Revelation 21, you know, there will be no more death or dying, nor sorrow, nor sickness, for the former things have passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new. She said it was a, literally a salve to his soul. He would have a new body in the resurrection. Johnny Erickson Tata says this of the resurrection. She says, I have hope in the future. The Bible speaks about bodies being glorified. I know the meaning of that now. It's the time after my death here when I, the quadriplegic, will be on my feet dancing. In that body we can eat because Jesus ate after his resurrection. We can touch and be touched. We will have flesh and bones. We will be recognizable because the disciples, once their disbelief had passed, could recognize Jesus. And there will be, as I said, continuity with our old life. As the the old hymn proclaims, crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands and side, rich wounds, rich wounds, yet visible above, wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. Oh, man, hymns teach us so well. Your rich wounds. The things that were wounding you in this life that Christ entered into and used for his purposes, the sacrifices you have made, the cross that you have borne, the wounds you have received and turned over to him, offered them back to your wounded healer, Jesus. Those rich wounds in glory will be beautified. I believe that just as the scars of the crucifixion remain upon our Lord, those things that make us unique in our obedience to Jesus Christ here will be glorified reminders of our Christ-like sacrifices. We won't be limited to time and space in the same way. Over and over in the resurrection accounts, Jesus just kind of shows up literally out of nowhere. And although the doors were locked because of fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. I mean, that's pretty cool. Like I've said before, superpowers. (laughs) Awesome. And best of all, we will be sinless. 
The old sinful nature that drew us away from God will have no part in that resurrection body. Nothing will ever in our bodies will ever draw us away from God again. It will be heaven just to never desire anything wrong again. And listen, this is what I thought this morning before I stepped down here to preach. Um, it doesn't mean our passions will go away. It doesn't mean our desires will go away. We will be full of holy passions. We will be burning up with holy desires. All, it's, we will finally, finally be able to give in to our passions. We will finally be able to give in completely to our longings because they will just take us deeper and deeper and deeper into the love of God, into the life of God, into the burning, impenetrable, but yet welcoming presence of the life of the Holy Trinity. I can't wait. I mean, isn't it going to be great to never want anything bad again? It's like everything is finally permitted. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm going to take advantage of that. With the reality of Christ's resurrection and the promise of our resurrection before us, this does call forth a response from our, on our part. First of all, we need to realize that the promises of the resurrection to everlasting life, hear this clearly, only belong to those who accept Jesus Christ and live in him. If you really love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. You know, he didn't say, if you really love me, you'll have good feelings about me. He didn't say, if you really love me, you'll say nice things about me. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. 2 Corinthians. So, as we think of the resurrection, we need to ask ourselves, have I repented of my sins? and placed my trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, am I in Christ now living him for him as my Lord? And for believers in Jesus Christ, focusing on these last things keeps us from having a divided heart. It helps clarify our vision. John writes, and everyone, this is again 1 John chapter 3, everyone who, the, who thus hopes in him, in the resurrection, purifies himself, as he is pure. And that word pure in Greek means unmixed or undivided. We'll have an undivided heart. We need to have an undivided heart. We tend to fall into ungodly patterns and we become distracted by the present to the point that we forget the future. In fact, that's one of the enemy's schemes. Often the urgent drives out the important. Often the momentary thought of satisfying the sinful nature drives out our eternal perspective. But minding our future state, we are more likely to embrace God's grace to stand against temptation and live with undivided commitment to Jesus Christ in the here and now. My experience, I, I've said this before, <laughs> my experience isn't that most Christians are heavenly, so heavenly minded they can do no earthly good. They're, they're so earthly minded they can do no heavenly good. I mean, at least that's my problem. I don't know about you. There is so much truth in Samuel Johnson's quip. When a man knows that he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. 
When we consider our last state, it concentrates our mind wonderfully. And finally, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and the reality of that resurrection and the new world to come and our new lives in him to come spills over into the present and fills us with joy. That's really what Christian hope is. Christian hope is not wishful thinking. Christian hope is living in the joy of God's promised kingdom that is coming and is even now beginning to break in. It's, it's living in the in the full assurance of those future promises, and that is a place of joy. That is a place of joy. I mean, think about it. You know, when you know something good is really going to happen, it spills over into your present. Not that you wish it would happen. You know it's going to happen. And it's like, you know, when I was a kid, uh, this is why the last month or the last couple of weeks, and I, I guess this is still the case where we have summer breaks for, for elementary school, middle school, high school, whatever, those, especially for middle school and elementary school kids, I remember this, those last two weeks of school were unbearable because of the joy of the knowledge that we were getting out. It was going to be free at last, free at last. <laughs> we were free at last. The late... D. James Kennedy preached one of the best Easter sermons I've ever heard. And he ended that sermon like this. As we think about the inbreaking future God has for us. For many centuries, the men and women of Europe looked upon the Western Sea, what we call the Atlantic Ocean. And they saw the sun coruscating upon the glittering surface of the waters and they wondered. They wondered if there was anything beyond Scholars said that you could sail off the edge of the world. There was nothing out there at all. In fact, inscribed on the escutcheons of the coat of arms of the nation of Spain was the national motto, Ne plus ultra. There is nothing beyond. One day, Columbus went westering on the shiny waters. He sailed off into the sunset as people waited expectantly, and finally, after a long time, the sails reappeared, and the crowds were exultant, and they shouted with joy, and Columbus announced that there was a land beyond the sea that was rich beyond their dreams. It was a glorious paradise. And the king of Spain changed the motto of that land until it reads as it does today, plus ultra, meaning there is more beyond. For many centuries, innumerable people stood beside the dark hole that we call a grave and watched the remains of their loved ones lowered into the earth. And they wondered, beyond the dark waters of death, is there anything beyond? Then one day, a young explorer went westering into the setting sun and descended into the blackness of that pit. He sailed off the edge of the world and crashed into hell. People waited expectantly. Finally, on this resurrection morning, as the sun arose in the east, the Son of God stepped forth from the grave and declared, There is something beyond. There is a paradise beyond your greatest expectations. And there awaits a heavenly father waiting with outstretched arms to wipe away every tear from your cheek.
there is something beyond, and it's coming here soon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you